G'day, Osha here. Have you ever really thought about what consent is? When you look back over the intimate experiences in your life with another human or humans, did you know what it meant to ask for or grant consent? It's okay if you didn't because it was not something we talked about, certainly not when I was a teenager. Well, our good friend, Yumi Steins, is here to talk to us all about that today. I hope you're having a good holiday. It is summer uh, in Australia. might be winter where you are. You're on a break. I'm on a break. Rachel and Andy and Bree and Toehider and the team that help us make this show, we're all on a break. So this is a show that has been on the podcast before, but if you missed it, it's worth listening to again. We'll get to Yumi in a moment. You might hear an ad here. If you do, thank you. You're helping us keep the lights on. If not, let's get going. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, this is Better Than Yesterday. I'm Osha Ginsberg. Thank you so much for being here. This is a podcast that is going to make your day today better than yesterday. That's a guarantee. Every episode since the start in 2013, there's hundreds of interviews, conversations with people from all walks of life, conversations with just me and you, every one of them guaranteed to help you make today better than yesterday. And you can take that to the bank. Uh, we are, I'm Osher Ginsberg. I'm a, I'm a TV host. I'm a podcaster. I'm an author. I'm, um, Oki strapped to the cargo bike with the beach umbrella kind of guy, which is pretty awesome. By the way, it's nothing quite like using an Oki strap as a dad. Finding reasons to use Oki straps is pretty cool. Watch out kids. No, 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 no. Don't touch that, mate. No, no, no. That's dad stuff. Love it. It's amazing. The torch has been passed. Um, yeah, I Oki strapped the beach umbrella to the bike this morning. It's pretty sick. <laughs> And look, I've been here every week, uh, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, 
all the way back to 2013. And I'm, I'm super grateful to, um, to have you here because without you, there is no show. All right. If you need me, it's super easy to find me. Send Osher email at gmail.com. That's where I am. Yumi Steins is on the show today. She's a broadcaster, a podcaster, an author, a runner, and she's mum to four incredible kids. Yumi is a profoundly powerful and creative person. I've known her for a very long time, and I'm grateful to have her in my life. And she has released books upon books upon books. She's an extraordinary, uh, has an extraordinary creative output. She's put out at least two books in her Zero Fucks cooking series, two books with the original Dolly Doctor, Melissa Kang, Welcome to Your Period and Welcome to Consent, which we're going to talk about today. And her latest book is called Ladies We Need to Talk, based on the podcast of the same name. Our conversation today focuses around Welcome to Consent, a book that I was privileged to get an early look at. Her books are available wherever you get books. Just type in Yumi Steins in your search bar or you know, ask the person behind the counter at a bookshop and they'll point you in the Yumi section. I'm so grateful she's here today. She's an important person in our community and I'm grateful that we have this conversation with Yumi Steins to share with you today. It's so nice to see you, Yumi. How are you? I'm so happy to see you. I feel like you're my brother that I haven't set eyes on for a year or two. <laughs> you actually have quite a, a, a number of siblings, don't you? Three. Yeah. And what number are you? I'm the fourth. I'm the little one, the runs, the naughty one. <laughs> I saw today, I mean, we're recording this on a day that you put up a particularly glorious photo of Anouk, your eldest, and um, she's just all all just like dumpling legs, I like to call them, like a stack of dumplings with toes on the end. <laughs> and little slitty eyes. I always think like their head is like a big ball of cheese and you just use their little knife to, to cut some slits in there so they can see. So <laughs> cute. How are you all handling the lock-up situation that we're all under? You know, I can only speak from our experience. We're kind of both ends. We've got... Kids similar age, We've got, well, you've got four kids, we've got two, but one of them's just finishing high school and one of them's just like, hey, I'm awake, entertain me until <laughs> I sleep again and that's going to be, that's hours away <laughs> from now, so uh, let's fucking go and I'm going to throw things if you don't. <laughs> oh, it's so much work, isn't it? Well, we, we actually went on holidays, a two-week break in June from our home in Sydney to Airlie Beach in Queensland and as we were leaving, we are like, gee, Sydney's looking bad. Like, I reckon they're going to have to lock it down soon. And about a day after we arrived in um, in Sydney, they did lock it down. So we haven't been back since. We're basically stuck in Queensland. I mean, we could go back to Sydney, but we haven't because we don't want to go back to a lockdown. Fair enough. So you've, you're away for what? It's now three months with the same clothes. Yeah. And, you know, I don't like to consume, so I haven't really bought any new clothes. <laughs> so... <laughs> I'm just wearing the same stuff on repeat over and over again. And I had to get my driver's license renewed. And um, and they said, do you want to just use your current address? So I said, sure. So I'm now like officially a Queenslander. I got it in the post today. I was like, I had some emotions, Osha. Like I've just sort of accidentally become a Queenslander. That's great. Oh, I'm so excited for you. I grew up there and I don't have one. I can't get across the border if I tried. Yeah. I know. I know. I feel I'm doing all these meetings and stuff with people who are either in Sydney or Melbourne, and I just like I'm literally sitting down with ocean water on my body 
and you can see my tan, like I'm brown and I'm feeling quite happy. <laughs> and I feel really guilty about it. Don't Sorry, feel guilty. Everyone. Yumi, enjoy it. Have a great time. Do it for all of us. Be out there and, and, and play in the sun with your children with no fear. I'm pretty excited to talk to you about your new book, Welcome to Consent, uh, on the back of your previous book with Dr. Melissa Kang, Welcome to Your Period. Very different from the cookbooks that you've put out, but <laughs> super important. You've always, my entire time I've ever known you, you've always had this kind of really strong voice. You were the strongest woman I think I knew you for when I when I met you for, for years. You still are. And you had a you know really powerful way of being around this kind of stuff. And for a guy that is one of four brothers who went to an all boys school up in Brisbane, that the only women in my life were my mum and my accounting teacher. That did give me a very skewed view of the world. What made you go, you know what? I'm going to have to write this stuff down. I'm going to have to get it out there. I think it's it's a real trick being an author and I, I, re I really wish I'd figured it out a bit sooner that you're not necessarily the greatest writer. I guess it's a bit like all those musicians that we interviewed over the years, Osha. They're not necessarily the best singer, but they're the ones who've got the the belief and the the fucking dogged persistence to see their projects through. And that really does characterize a lot of the successful artists that you and I would have met over the years. They're not necessarily the, the most technically advanced people. So with the writing stuff, I just sort of felt like, God, this book really needs to be written about periods. And I guess I'm gonna have to have a go at it and give myself permission to do multiple drafts, to reread it, to fix it when it's not right, which is which will be many, many hundreds of times in many, many little tiny details, and then give it like the best chance of being birthed as a very good thing, you know, and, and put out into the world. And that's actually, I didn't realise it, but that's how most writers work. Like not, not all of us are, are just naturally fluently genius. We just have to toil at it. And so I did. And then I realised, wow, this resource did not exist until Dr. Melissa and I created it. So we created a guidebook for kids getting their periods that wasn't really medically it wasn't too old. It really did confront things like, I've got a camping trip planned. What am I going to do? Or I want to have a sleepover. Or what, what exactly do you do with your period when you go for a swim? Like nobody ever actually just spelt it out for me. So can you do that? So we did that with this book. And then um, consent came up as something that we both really wanted to talk about because it turns out that just like with periods, we're not necessarily the greatest experts, but we've got this burning desire to talk about it and it's so dogged that it will see something through that's as big as making a book you know from conception to publication there is a lot a lot of hours where you are so tempted to give up and and toss your laptop into the sea that you have to really just find I always call it the kind of the energy for a project so let's say you started the mass singer and you're like I'm kind of not that into singers <laughs> like you need to have that enthusiasm for your shiny floor shows, for your singers, for that reveal, for the audience participation, to see that project through from start to finish. And so that's who we are that made the books happen. And consent turned out to be something that was so pressing and, and still is so pressing. In talking about the book, I've seen you, you know, speak about your own examples that, that happened when you were a young woman. How did we end up not speaking about this? 
what was the cause of us not having these apparently incredibly important conversations? Because I, I was lucky enough to get an early version of the book. You were very kind to send me a pre-print version. And I remember reading it going, where was this when I was 13? Where was this? I, I learned what I learned from 80s teen movies. You know, kids now would learn what they learned from porn. Like, and the, both of those things have zero to do with what actually is reality. You know, how did we get away with not talking about this for so long? What was behind that? Well, I think it kept um, the patriarchy protected in lots of ways. But I also think, like, it's less sinister than that. I think we had just a lot of shyness and felt awkward and didn't know how to have the conversations. We we often didn't have much language around these things. So how are we going to have a conversation about it if we don't even have a word for it, you know? That's the start. But a lot of it is, is also inheriting stuff from our parents. And I found this with periods as well, was that even though all our mothers, literally all our mothers menstruated, they still found it hard to talk about with us and we couldn't help but inherit some of that shame and fear. And then we just kind of learned that this is something that you don't talk about. And I remember one of the experts that I interviewed just describing the first time she was a little girl and she said, mum, what's a vagina? And she saw her mum go, (laughs) they were in the car and her mum like provided a completely okay answer, but the girl internalized the wince, the flinch that her mum, you know, she did it without trying to and so she realized oh that's a thing that we don't talk about it's a word that's got shame attached to it imagine that multiplied by thousands upon thousands of those little micro moments where we're taught that this stuff is shameful when i'm reading your book when i'm reading welcome to consent the distance between what you and dr melissa were writing and what it is that I was, ing- I can only relate to my own experience as a teenager, what it is that I was ingesting as a teenager was so, <laughs> it was like they were in another galaxy, man. The start line that I was dealing with was so far behind. <laughs> yeah, and not just you. I think a lot of people have had that feeling. I've had a lot of people um, say, I wish I'd had this book when I was younger. And they kind of do have a lament for maybe the assaults that they didn't know were even assaults. I've got a good friend who can't even bring herself to read the book because she's like, yeah, but I needed it then. This isn't going to help me now. She's like, I'm so grateful to you for writing this book, but I'm also really grief stricken because I didn't know this stuff and nobody equipped me with these words and these tools when I really needed it. I think it's a really interesting thing, consent to talk about because for so long, and I think this endures today, we thought that in a heterosexual sort of teen model, which continues to adulthood, the girl has the keys and the access, the lock, which she can choose to give access to the boy. And it's really not, that's a really dumb and pointless and fruitless way of thinking about it. It's really not that. It really needs to be, intimacy needs to be something that she wants and he has to want it too and they need to be able to talk about it and figure it out. And yes, yeah, sometimes you don't use words. Sometimes you use body language or you use the, the waggle of the eyebrows. You want mm-hmm. <laughs> There's all kinds of ways to communicate, but talking is pretty helpful. But it's not like a transaction in that way that we really were taught that it was. Mm. And once we kind of like, okay, let's just chuck that in the bin and start again, then we can start to build on what might be the way that will work for us. I found it really interesting. I spoke to Kyle Sandilands about it when it came out and he was like, do you know what? I never thought about power 
differences and power imbalances and how that can impact consent and impact somebody's ability to say no. I honestly hadn't thought about it, he said. And I get that. Like for a lot of us, power, which is such a huge element in giving the ability to give or or withhold consent, it's invisible. And until you start to talk about it, you don't know it even exists. So just for people who haven't read the book and don't know what I'm talking about, so for instance, there's a really obvious one. It would be a teacher and a student. So in that in that scenario, the dynamic is very much in favour of the teacher to have more power over the student. And it doesn't have to be a sexual situation. It could be the teacher wants to borrow your sunglasses, right? Of the student's got some cool sunnies. Can I borrow them? It's very hard for the student to say no. And of course they could, but what might be the consequences? Will they get a worse grade or will they get slightly subtly bullied? So it definitely is in it's sort of a, a pressure for the, the younger person, the person with less power, to say yes. And then we need to tease that out into all kinds of scenarios where you might not be as aware of the power imbalance. The, the teacher-student one is very obvious, but it might be less obvious to a boy who's just always been a real big unit and doesn't know what it's like to be the little tiny slip of a thing who is constantly conscious that she could get her head punched in really easily and wouldn't stand a chance if it came to that, to a physical confrontation. Um, So there's a physical power imbalance in so many situations that I think people could stand to think about a little bit more that maybe she's saying yes, but does she mean it? So in that situation, there is a power imbalance and it pays to be conscious of it. There's a lot of things in in the consent conversation that really pays to be conscious of. I think that men but fearing a reckoning um, is pretty, it's pretty unlikely. I think mo- most of us are really happy to push this information forward onto the generations that are coming up now. It's interesting you talk about the big unit conversation. I've, I've had that conversation with, with someone that I know who's 6'5", uh, I think, or 6'6", six, six. and I said, mate, you don't know what it's like to not be 6'6". Six, six. You don't know what it's like to stand next to you. When you walk into a room, people are always that way to you. You never consider that your mere presence in the room could threaten them. And he's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> it just never never occurred to him because he's been that tall since he was 15, I think, or 14. Oh. But he just never un- understood that. But the power thing's a, a tricky one, you know, because as you mentioned, you, you know, the thing that props a lot of this up is the continuity of the systems of power that the patriarchy have have put in across our society and and one of those things is that power is sexy one of those things is get next to power align yourself with power do what you can to be around power because life will be easier and better when there is power and that's a whole other bloody conversation but what can we tell uh the young people in our lives about that about the allure of of powerful people well, I actually talked about that. And just when you were saying that the allure, the sexiness, you know, you want to be near it, um, you want to breathe it in. I had a very specific example in mind, which I think you were privy to when it was happening, which was the lead singer of Slipknot being in the country and girls just being mad for him, like mad for this guy. So that scenario where maybe you've met a rock star and you totally worship this guy and he likes you because you're sexy and hot and young, right? So you go back to his hotel room. Now, that is a completely consensual exchange, right? And you've both agreed that that's what you want. Within that hotel room, if that rock star were to put pressure on you to do something that you didn't really feel comfortable to do, it would be very hard for you to say no. So you've consented to up to a certain point 
But then there comes the time when that power imbalance has really put you at a significant disadvantage and you're going to need to have some real reserves of strength and power to stand up for your boundaries or you need to get get the hell out of there or something bad is going to happen to you. So it's really worth thinking at all times about power imbalances and they can exist in situations where you want to be there but it doesn't mean that you've given up all consent. So the the example that to extrapolate on would be like Unreal. I've gone home with the uh, you know the bass guitar player from this band, and everything is awesome. I'm so excited to be in bed with this person, but he just asked me, "Is it okay if the tour manager comes in?" I don't think it is, but I don't know what to do now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. What am I going to do? How do I say no to that? And it's scary. And that that's one of the things that we spell out in the book. Welcome to consent is in any intimate situations, the boundaries can change. So you can be going from making out to let's take our tops off, right? So that is a pretty big step. If you're quite young and inexperienced, going from just kissing to tops off, whoa, that's that's a big step, right? And similarly, if you're going from having one-on-one intimacy with one guy and then he brings in a second guy, that's a big step. So you need to always be checking in and saying, is this okay? Like the boundaries are, are being redrawn all the time in intimacy. So just making sure you're good with this and doing it with yourself. Oh, okay, we're doing this now. We're taking our tops off. Am I okay with this? And one of the things that's really, really good to talk about in the book that we do, that's good to do in real life, is to remind young people especially that they're allowed to take a sec to think about it. That you're like, um, let me just think about whether I want to take my top off. That's not going to end the situation. That's not going to be like you'll never have sex again or you've called it off. This sucks, your shit. You know, that's actually just you being consensual with yourself. So you're allowed to do that. If someone brings a, a third person in without talking about it with you, that is very much permission for you to put your clothes back on and go. Absolutely. That, and it, I guess, you know, then we talk about the power imbalance as well. I'm just getting these full flashbacks now to my own teenage years where, say, for example, if if someone didn't want to take their top off, then this particular person is is labelled frigid. And the word gets out. And then, you know, in the words of Les Claypool from Primus, my name is Mud. So what would you say to a young woman who's who's worried about getting labelled like that by a bunch of very yeah. small dicked teenage boys? <laughs> you know, you really can't control what people say about you. As people in the media, we know this to be true. You, you actually have no control over the narrative that other people choose to, to weave around you. Those ones that occur in high school, though, can be super meaningful to you as, as the victim of it, and you care, even though you just, you're told not to, you, you do care. So in that situation, I'd just say, like, this is where you're going to have to summon all the fucks you don't give because <laughs> you can't control it. And, and you know, uh, you and I both know that the kingdom of high school Mm. is such a tiny, pissy little sandcastle in the greater scheme of life, you know? Yeah. That you can think everything lives or dies there, but it really doesn't. So it hurts. It's a good learning experience, but you will move on. And I guess the the other version of that is, again, I think about, I remember meeting someone, I think we were in our early 20s. We bumped into each other at a bar and she goes, yeah, that was that was really hard, all the things that got said about me. She was the girl who had a, a very high drive. She was, you know, she was 17, I think, and she was like very much into feeling pleasure and mm-hmm. which was, oh, she's the one that's been around. It turned into that's the story that got told to her. But she did mention when she was 20, when she like, we're well and truly out of high school, she was in the uni, how much it was still shit for her though. Yeah. 
That's one of the things that we do try and talk about a little bit, which is sort of the difference between privacy and secrecy. And privacy is something that we're entitled to, but we don't necessarily get it in high school. I, I think your friends would respect your privacy a lot more in your 20s and 30s and, and beyond than your high school friends do because mm. gossip is such a currency. But the, there are ways that you can have a conversation about it. So, for instance, if you hook up with someone and you're like, this has been really fun, but I don't necessarily want everybody at school to know about this, to have a conversation about that with that person, you know, is it is it okay if we just keep this between you and me? And it's not because I'm ashamed, I just I just like my privacy um, because sometimes if somebody says, can you keep it a secret? It's like, what, you don't want anybody to know that we touched each other in the nudie bits? <laughs> like, are you ashamed? <laughs> it can be, it can be rude or hurtful, but if you can yeah. be candid and use some words that are meaningful, and we even talk about how body language can be quite meaningful. So if you just, you know, if you and I would leave in class and I said, Hey, Osh, don't tell anyone that thing I just told you. Okay. You might not realize that that's a super, super personal thing. But if I stopped you and grabbed you by the arm and said, hey, Osh, that thing that I told you, it's actually super personal and I really don't want it to go anywhere. So I've kind of almost used the exact same words, but I've really communicated as best Mm. I can that I need you to not spread my my private stuff around. Now, that doesn't mean you won't, but I've definitely given it a good shot. Our little boy is two and we're just starting to get into the – kind of the life lesson songs, like the teeny tiny Stevies, which are pretty sick, by the way. And um, it started the songs that are all like, hello, my, my body, my choice. Like I choose to do things with, with my body. We seem to be okay with talking to little kids about when people much older than them want to touch them. Like, for example, an auntie who wants to have a big slobbery kiss. It's okay for you to say no if you don't want to have a big slobbery kiss with auntie. That's okay. You can come give her a kiss when you're ready if you want to. If you don't, that's fine. You know, you're not forcing Uh kids and and being aware like the kids said no, that's fine. Yet we kind of struggle a bit when it's kids their own age, when they're little. I guess maybe is is puberty the switch when it starts to get weird for us? (laughs) Uh, Look, I don't know. I I have friends, a lot of it's culture, I think, like friends who come from um, religious backgrounds who are really funny about nudity and touch from a really young age. And I guess by funny, I mean that's the wrong word, protective and a, and a little bit hyperconscious of it, especially in public settings. But puberty is definitely a switch when I think that they should be taking more ownership of their own bodies very much. And it's also coincidentally a time when girls are very much told that their bodies are for the consumption of others and the enjoyment of others. So letting them know, actually, that this is completely your decision and you get to own this, that's a really powerful message that we need to keep repeating to young girls and teenagers and young women because there's so much contradicting that message. There's a phrase, it, it sucks because it rhymes because it's true, there's a phrase around internet porn, uh, having the conversation with internet porn that eight is too late. You know, uh-huh. you're just going to have to do it because if you if you've waited till the age of eight, it's too late. They've already seen it. You might have the best parental filters ever at home, but some kid who's got the phone their mum gives them so they can let her know when they're done from school has shown their picture and gone, look what these four guys are doing at the bus stop. When is the when is the time to start having these conversations with your kids? Whenever you want. I, I do it with my little ones. You can do it with Wolfie. It's all about what he can get his head around. So. If somebody would were to show an eight-year-old four guys doing something in a movie, I don't think that their heads would be able to put the pieces together or really comprehend what they were seeing. 
So it actually would be so abstract to them, it probably wouldn't do any damage. I mean, it would depend, obviously, on how, how long they sat with that stuff. Yeah, But we did, we did really dig into the research around exposure to porn for kids and it's actually not as bad as we think in that most kids don't see it until they're, say, 13, 14 and then it's often in a school situation where exactly as you described, somebody else is showing them something and they have a little bit of agency about looking away or, or going further with it. And then, and then, as I said, it's often stuff that they can't even figure out what they're seeing. I conducted also a lot of interviews with teens about when they first saw porn and it was around that age and it was hentai stuff or anime stuff. It was things like the human centipede, not the actual film, but the trailer, stuff like that where it's just actually completely upsetting and can be quite scarring, but they can be prepared by, by being sort of advanced warned of what they could see but but i would say don't freak out too much because for the most of them they don't know what the hell it is like they could see a completely gynecological kind of yeah. depiction of a woman and not even know what they're seeing what do those conversations sound like yumi for someone like a seven or eight year old you might say that people do stuff on camera with their nude bodies to stir up sexy feelings but it's not really for kids so if you see it, you don't have to look at it if it, if it makes you feel weird and you, you never have to look at it if, if someone else is showing you. But if you do see it and you want to talk about it, I'd love to hear about what you've seen and, and we can talk about whether it's good or bad or whether it made you upset or made you happy and why people might watch this sort of stuff. I think one of the key things that they're going to get from you is like we were talking about before, the facial reaction, like the way that you react. If you freak out, they're going to say, they're not going to say it to your face, but they're going to clock, okay, this is something I don't want to talk about with mum. Or dad's going to shit himself if we talk, if I raise this with him, so just never do this again. And he'll not and he'll, he'll go along with what you're saying then and there, but he'll never raise it again. So just, you know, I think it's always being quite, kind of open to these conversations and knowing how to talk about them. I heard that one of the one of the ways to talk about porn with kids is to you know maybe compare it to uh, maybe a film that they've seen. Oh, I'm, I'm always a fan of like, yeah, they'd have fights in John Wick, but that's not what fights look like. That's the most <laughs> incredible stunt teams on the face of the earth combining with the best cinematographers on the planet deciding how, what would be the most fantasized, unbelievable version of how this might look. Yeah, that's what porn is. It's so far from two people actually wanting to communicate how much they care about each other using their bodies. It's really just stunt work using a genital in many ways. Yeah. That's a bit hard to, to comprehend when just by, uh, certainly as a young man, I remember the first time I saw it, I couldn't even comprehend what was going on. My body just reacted and straight away I'm just flushed with all these hormones and my body's reacting, I don't know, you know. One really key thing to remember is for all of that digital information that they're getting, porn in particular, the only counter message that they're going to get is from their parents, really. I mean, mm. they might have a trusted PE or educator at school or somewhere else, but the person who can consistently speak to them about the flip side of porn, which is the reality of sex, which is doing it with somebody that you like and, and the reality of goo and discharge and eruptions and 
you know, fanny farts and just all of the things that are very hard to talk about but can benefit from being aired, that's you as the parent. And it's really important that you know that you've got to step up and have the courage for these conversations, have some of the language, know the research and not cringe or flinch. Like, And it's perfectly okay to say, look, this is making me embarrassed or I don't actually know what the answer is, but I really wanted to be able to tell you what it is so I'm going to do some googling and then is it okay if we talk again in a couple of days and then to reinitiate that conversation and the the kids are here for it like they like it and they do trust you and I mean it's amazing to me if I can get quite graphic about some things to do with sex it's amazing to me to have nearly adult daughters this is a few years ago in my experience but who had gone through all the experiences of a modern wealthy middle-class Australian kid were in probably year nine or ten and had never ever been told that a woman's body releases lubricant when she's sexually aroused so they didn't understand that to put it bluntly your pussy will get wet if you're horny somehow they'd got to almost adulthood without anyone ever communicating that honestly and it blows my mind because they know all about erections (laughs) and wet dreams they know all about penetration they had seen porn but somehow, because of the emphasis on, on male pleasure and not female, this particular detail was completely missing. And that's just one of many, many details. It's so important. If you're a girl and you don't know that, that, okay, this is some evidence that I can look for in my own body to make sure that I'm enjoying this, that I'm on board for this. My body will tell me that this is good for me. Nobody gave them that information and they're 15. Like, come on. So, you have to know that everything they get in porn, yeah, it's bullshit, but it's there. But you, it's not enough for you to tell them that it's bullshit. You have to give them a counter-argument for what real sex is and what real sex looks like. And it's not a one-off. It's like every week, you know, you're going to find some inspiration from a movie or some, you know, some conversation that's going on and you can apply it to yourselves, to real life, to your own bodies and not be embarrassing and find like don't do it in front of their friends if it you know that's probably not consensual you need to do it in a space where it's okay for you guys to just share and be respectful and um and them to trust that then you're not going to go and blab about it on the radio or something you know that this is something that they can really rely on you for yeah absolutely Mm. do you find that because you've written this book people just disclose to you left and right yeah they do and also the other work that I do for the ABC on the podcast, Ladies We Need to Talk, people often disclose to me because of that work. And it's part of the job, I think. It's it's just about being a gentle and respectful listener, isn't it? Which is so funny that we've come all this way from being music jocks to these people whose job it is to, to sometimes absorb pain. Just a moment away from Yumi Steins to ask a favor of you. If this show brings you value, if you're listening to this going, oh yeah, I'm I'm vibing this, I might listen to another of these episodes, I'm I'm feeling what's happening here. If this is a show that someone has told you to listen to and you're like, I'm glad this person told me to listen to it, then I would like to ask you to repay that feeling. And it's really easy. All you have to do is rate the podcast or review the podcast where you can or follow or subscribe the podcast to the podcast where you can or share it with a friend. Hit share in the podcast app and text it to someone or DM it to someone or when you're at it, you know, hanging out with your mate, go, oh yeah, I heard Yumi on the podcast. Oh, you've got kids. Yeah, listen to this one. It's a good start. And then the book, da 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 That stuff really, really helps us. And that is a huge way that you can help. I guess, you know, pay us back. 
for the work that we do and um, the value that you get out of this show. If you do need me, you can find me anytime. Send Osher email at gmail.com. You can also find me on Instagram. And uh, we'll get back to our conversation with Yumi Steins in just a moment. There may or may not be an ad here. Let's see what happens. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. What do you, I mean, we've talked a little bit and it's come up a little in this conversation about how much, you know, patriarchy in our culture has affected, you know, it trickles down and affects even the most tiny, tiny interactions between people because of the way that our society is constructed. How, it seems insurmountable. How can we start <laughs> to chip away at this, Yumi? I mean, the week we're recording this, we saw... 49 of the 55 recommendations of the inquest into uh, sexual harassment in, in government, 49 of the 55 were dismissed. Um, you know, we've seen time and again our leaders carry on and be excused of behaviour that we don't really stand for. How can we even chip away at this? I think there's a, there's a lot of answers to that, Osha, but the true fact is I'm fucking angry about it all the time. I'm angry for the next generations and I'm angry for the generations that preceded mine. And I think um, a lot of us are starting to harness that anger and we're going to direct it towards the governments that clearly show women are a very fucking low priority to them. It's so arrogant and so cocky to be so consistently dismissed by one government. I'm actually impressed by the consistency of their messaging that they do not give a fuck about women it's impressive to me so the thing is I think more women will enter politics I think we're going to see generations of change coming but that's slow I think in the near future we're going to see um nationwide protests but led by women about women women going on strike women saying do you know what you're going to have to fix this climate thing because we want there to be a planet in the future for our future generations. Whether or not we fucking have kids, who cares? There should be a planet that survives my life, you know, and it really feels like no politician is indicating that they care. And it's left to us, what, as citizens, to recycle our milk jugs? Like, come on. You know, while, while mining companies get tax breaks and people pour landfill into our our own backyard, like this is our planet. We can't just fill it with garbage. It's exasperating, Osha. But I think that the fact is we're going to start agitating 
I think women are going to be the leaders in civil disobedience in this country. I say, and I say more of it, that 50% of our population could rise up (laughs) and seize its share of power is just an idea away and it thrills me beyond measure. Do you think we need quotas or things like that or do you just think you would like to see more women going into politics? Yeah, well, I think definitely more women going into politics, but why would they? It's not safe in there. Like you can literally get raped. You can literally get raped without consequence (sighs) in the halls of power. So why would you? And and Julia Banks, somebody who was so accomplished, like such a kick-ass asset to any political party, was squeezed out for being female. Like you could take upskirt photos of someone, be credibly accused of rape, and get away with it and even get promoted. But how dare you be female? Like it's just mind-blowing. I'd like to see, Osha, people turning up to Parliament and every time one of those guys says something that is so gaslighting, which is daily, to just have everybody who sees it as bullshit to call out, bullshit, bullshit, it's bullshit. We've, We've had it up to here with bullshit. We've had it up to here. We're done. Maybe that's the key, Yumi. Maybe if we ever get to leave our houses, it's just setting a a group of five to ten people in the gallery every day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Keep your powder dry. It's only when they are bullshitting, okay? You don't do it the rest of the time. And any time they start bullshitting, like gas is clean energy, fucking bullshit it is. It's bullshit. (laughs) Tell me that stuff. We know it. We've read science. We're not idiots. Bullshitters. (laughs) Keep your powder dry. (laughs) (laughs) So old school. I love it. I would like, I want more of that. I I distinctly want more of that. And I would be amazed if at the next election, which is within six months, Mm. I'd be amazed if there isn't a day of reckoning because even the, the most staunchly conservative religious types who see what's going on, they cannot excuse, they can't excuse the kind of absolute malarkey that's going on in our halls of power. Mm. And I think it's like, how can I tell my kids you need to do the right thing because, you you know, there's accountability if there's no fucking accountability at the top of the tree? That's not all right, you know? No, it's not. It's, mm. it's not. Let's say, for, like, we've talked a lot about what it is to be, you know, young, young women. Say there's young, young men in people's lives people who yep. are in their, you know, mid-teens, late-teens, or even early 20s, often kids in their early 20s are still living mm-hmm. at home, you know, still living at home. Yep. How can we have those conversations around consent with the young men and young adult men in our lives? Oh, God, that's that's the best kind of person to have the conversation with, you know. Just first of all, like, we all want to be good at having sex, you know. Like, I think that's pretty universal. There's some of us who aren't into having it at all, but those of us who are, we want to do a good job, you know. We don't want to be mediocre or middling at it. And the best way to be better at it is to receive feedback. So I would just say if you can work that into every interaction that you have with someone else, you know, how is this? Is this okay? Do you like it? Is there anything you would like to change? That's a really good just sort of basic sex education lesson. So once you start having that conversation, it's much easier for your partner to say, actually, I don't like it or can we slow down or none of this is good for me and I want to stop. You're really making 
the word no accessible to them because it is very hard to say the word no. And you'll notice in a lot of the examples that people don't actually say the word no. They'll say, "Mm, not really liking it or can we do something else? So for a young man to understand that integrating feedback seeking into his sexual practice, he will be a better lover. Because if she can then say, actually, that thing that you did with your tongue, no, not that thing, the other thing, that was like top 10. That was like all-time favourite, right? He suddenly knows something that he didn't know five minutes ago. And it wasn't that thing, it was the other thing, right? He's got direct feedback that he can use for the rest of his life or at least the rest of his time with that particular girl who liked that particular thing. He didn't have that before. So he's already a much better lover than he was. If you can tell a boy that and get that into his head, that feedback is just going to be the most powerful thing. But also sometimes the feedback will be no. It will be, yuck, actually, that was like fish hooks in my skin. I hated that. That was shit. That's going to be really good for him to know as well because that's a real clear lesson in what not to do. And what a joy to know, okay, I'm just going to cross that one off the list with that particular partner. Of course, one of the problems is a lot of young boys and men and all of us, let's be real, we learn one good thing that works with one partner and we think it applies to every subsequent partner after that. Right, I'm going to start with a little bit of neck kissing, then we're going to do some nipple play and then we're going to do some like snuffle, snuffle, snuffle and then we'll take on penetration or something. But for one person that might be absolutely, but for another it is every chance it's not. You know, some people aren't into penis and vagina sex who are completely heterosexual. It's like there's a whole world out there. The more feedback that you receive, the better. So I think being receptive to feedback hopefully means also being receptive to the word no if it comes up. Ultimately, and I don't know because I've been one, parents aren't really the people that young men listen to. It's it's their mates. What are the conversations if young men are concerned about the where their mates are when they're out and about? You know, yeah. what, what are some things that young men can say to each other? Well, that's probably more of a conversation to come from you than from me, but I think I think that conversation is really key. I think that's where the roof of a lot of this stuff lies, is being able to say to your friends, that's kind of a shit way to talk about a person. Like, do you want to fuck them or do you want to kill them? Why is there so much loathing in what you're saying about that person? And and maybe maybe that's not quite right. That kind of feedback can be so powerful. It's Yeah, and you're right, so much more powerful than coming from an educator or a parent. But it does take courage, social courage, to be that guy, that ally who does stand up. And it's sometimes easier just to zip it and go, oh, I'm not going to hang out with that guy anymore. Or maybe we don't have as much in common as I thought we did. But to hear it can be, oh, fuck, it can be so profound for those young men who often aren't in a situation where people are communicating with that sort of candid vulnerability. So I would always just like give it a go, you know, give it a try. (laughs) I can't tell you how happy I am to see you. And I'm so grateful you wrote this book, Yumi, because the person that wrote this book is the person I first met 20-something years ago when you were a child. So it's not like you suddenly decided to be the person that writes a book like this. You've always had this stuff inside you, as you mentioned. You've always had this stuff inside you. But to to see it written down and so powerfully and so accessibly, is a, it's a real gift to our community. So thank you so much for writing it. Thanks, Osha, and thank you for being a trusted early reader of one of the drafts. It really, (laughs) actually, your feedback really made me feel like we were on the right path. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that Instagram account that I uploaded all the screenshots to, not many people saw it, so it was fine. (laughs) (laughs) 
And ladies and gentlemen, that was Yumi Steins. Her latest books are Ladies We Need to Talk from the podcast of the same name and Welcome to Consent. All of Yumi's books are wherever you get your books. They're all out now. She's written a lot of books. She's fabulous and we're lucky that she's in our lives. She's an important voice in our community. I'm grateful that she's out there. She's a really important person. I'll see you in a couple of days. One more of these uh, summer best of episodes to go and then we're back to regularly scheduled programming. What do I have to tell you? I don't know. Be careful. Wear a mask. Book your booster. Wash your hands. Look after yourself. Take a moment. Put your phone down and see how many flowers you can see on a nice walk. Or count the bees. I don't know. Be mindful of the plants around you as you go on a walk for 10 minutes today. That's the thing that might change your day. It's pretty fun. I do it quite a bit. I've done a whole episode about it. In fact, I did it on an episode once. Yeah, that's right. That was cool. Anyway, I'll see you in a couple of days. Sleep well and dream of beautiful things. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com.